Chapter Forty of A Short History of the World by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty: The Huns and the End of the Western Empire. This appearance of a conquering Mongolian people in Europe may be taken to mark a new stage in human history. Until the last century or so before the Christian era the mongol and the nordic peoples had not been in close touch far away in the frozen lands beyond the northern forests the laps a mongolian people had drifted westward as far as lapland but they played no part in the main current of history for thousands of years the western world carried on the dramatic interplay of the aryan semitic and fundamental brunette peoples with very little interference, except for an Ethiopian invasion of Egypt or so, either from the black peoples to the south, or from the Mongolian world in the far east. It is probable that there were two chief causes for the new westward drift of the nomadic Mongolians. One was the consolidation of the great empire of China, its extension northward, and the increase of its population, during the prosperous period of the Han dynasty. The other was some process of climatic change, a lesser rainfall that abolished swamps and forests perhaps, or a greater rainfall that extended grazing over desert steppes, or even perhaps both these processes going on in different regions, but which anyhow facilitated a westward migration. A third contributory cause was the economic wretchedness, internal decay, and falling population of the Roman Empire. The rich men of the later Roman Republic, and then the tax-gatherers of the military emperors, had utterly consumed its vitality. So we have the factors of thrust, means, and opportunity. There was pressure from the East, rot in the west and an open road the hun had reached the eastern boundaries of european russia by the first century a d but it was not until the fourth and fifth centuries a d that these horsemen rose to predominance upon the steppes the fifth century was the hun's century the first huns to come into italy were mercenary bands in the pay of stilicho the vandal the master of Honorius. Presently, they were in possession of Pannonia, the empty nest of the Vandals. By the second quarter of the fifth century, a great war chief had arisen among the Huns, Attila. We have only vague and tantalizing glimpses of his power. He ruled not only over the Huns, but over a conglomerate of tributary Germanic tribes. His empire extended from the Rhine, crossed the plains into Central Asia. He exchanged ambassadors with China. His head camp was in the plain of Hungary east of the Danube. There he was visited by an envoy from Constantinople, Priscus, who has left us an account of his state. The way of living of these Mongols was very like the way of living of the primitive Aryans they had replaced. The common folk were in huts and tents, the chiefs lived in great stockaded timber halls. There were feasts and drinking and singing by the bards. 
the Homeric heroes and even the Macedonian companions of Alexander would probably have felt more at home in the camp capital of Attila than they would have done in the cultivated and decadent court of Theodosius II, the son of Arcadius, who was then reigning in Constantinople. For a time it seemed as though the nomads under the leadership of the Huns and Attila would play the same part towards the Greek or Roman civilization of the Mediterranean countries that the barbaric Greeks had played long ago to the Aegean civilization. It looked like history repeating itself upon a larger stage. But the Huns were much more wedded to the nomadic life than the early Greeks, who were rather migratory cattle farmers than true nomads. The Huns raided and plundered, but did not settle. For some years Attila bullied Theodosius as he chose. His armies devastated and looted right down to the walls of Constantinople. Gibbon says that he totally destroyed no less than seventy cities in the Balkan Peninsula, and Theodosius bought him off by payments of tribute, and tried to get rid of him for good by sending secret agents to assassinate him. In 451, Attila turned his attention to the remains of the Latin-speaking half of the empire and invaded Gaul. Nearly every town in northern Gaul was sacked. Franks, Visigoths, and the imperial forces united against him, and he was defeated at Troyes in a vast dispersed battle in which a multitude of men, variously estimated as between 150,000 and 300,000, were killed. This checked him in Gaul, but it did not exhaust his enormous military resources. Next year he came into Italy by way of Venetia, burned Aquileia and Padua, and looted Milan. Numbers of fugitives from these north Italian towns, and particularly from Padua, fled to islands in the lagoons at the head of the Adriatic, and laid there the foundations of the city-state of Venice, which was to become one of the greatest of the trading centers in the Middle Ages. In 453, Attila died suddenly, after a great feast, to celebrate his marriage to a young woman, and at his death this plunder confederation of his fell to pieces. The actual Huns disappear from history, mixed into the surrounding more numerous Aryan-speaking populations. But these great Hun raids practically consummated the end of the Latin Roman Empire. After his death, ten different emperors ruled in Rome in twenty years, set up by Vandal and other mercenary troops. The Vandals from Carthage took and sacked Rome in 455. Finally, in 476, Otto Eicher, the chief of the barbarian troops, suppressed a Pannonian, who was figuring as emperor under the impressive name of Romulus Augustulus, and informed the court of Constantinople that there was no longer an emperor in the West. So ingloriously the Latin Roman Empire came to an end. In 493, Theodoric the Goth became king of Rome. All over Western and Central Europe, now barbarian chiefs were reigning as kings, dukes and the like, practically independent, 
but for the most part professing some sort of shadowy allegiance to the emperor there were hundreds and perhaps thousands of such practically independent brigand rulers in gaul spain and italy and in dacia of the latin speech still prevailed in locally distorted forms but in britain and east of the rhine languages of the german group or in bohemia a slavonic language czech were the common speech the superior clergy and a small remnant of other educated men read and wrote latin everywhere life was insecure and property was held by the strong arm castles multiplied and roads fell into decay the dawn of the sixth century was an age of division and of intellectual darkness throughout the western world had it not been for the monks and christian missionaries latin learning might have perished altogether why had the roman empire grown and why had it so completely decayed it grew because at first the idea of citizenship held it together throughout the days of the expanding republic and even into the days of the early empire there remained a great number of men conscious of roman citizenship feeling it a privilege and an obligation to be a roman citizen confident of their rights under the roman law and willing to make sacrifices in the name of rome the prestige of rome as of something just and great and law upholding spread far beyond the roman boundaries but even as early as the punic wars the sense of citizenship was being undermined by the growth of wealth and slavery citizenship spread indeed but not the idea of citizenship the roman empire was after all a very primitive organization it did not educate did not explain itself to its increasing multitudes of citizens did not invite their cooperation in its decisions there was no network of schools to ensure a common understanding no distribution of news to sustain collective activity the adventurers who struggled for power from the days of marius and sulla onward had no idea of creating and calling in public opinion upon the imperial affairs the spirit of citizenship died of starvation and no one observed it die all empires all states all organizations of human society are in the ultimate things of understanding and will there remained no will for the roman empire in the world and so it came to an end but though the latin-speaking roman empire died in the fifth century something else had been born within it that was to avail itself enormously of its prestige and tradition and that was the latin-speaking half of the catholic church this lived while the empire died because it appealed to the minds and wills of men because it had books and a great system of teachers and missionaries to hold it together things stronger than any law or legions throughout the fourth and fifth centuries a d while the empire was decaying christianity was spreading to a universal dominion in europe it conquered its conquerors the barbarians 
when Attila seemed disposed to march on Rome, the Patriarch of Rome intercepted him, and did what no armies could do, turning him back by sheer moral force. The Patriarch or Pope of Rome claimed to be the head of the entire Christian Church. Now that there were no more emperors, he began to annex imperial titles and claims. He took the title of Pontifex Maximus, head sacrificial priest of the Roman dominion, the most ancient of all the titles that the emperors had enjoyed. End of chapter 14